subdued and um, and he had a headache and uh, and they thought maybe he's got heat stroke. Uh, it wasn't. It was some um, viral meningitis. And and 24 hours later he died. So so what do you say? What do you say in those circumstances to the family of a of a four year old who one day is you know, full of life, the next day is, is gone. And then a couple of years later, I had a, another um, family who were, they didn't come to the church, but their, uh, her, so the mum's dad came to the church. He used to play the, the keyboard um, for us sometimes, although he, um, more often he played keyboard in a pub. Uh, so he played, he played all the sort of worship songs in the style of My Old Man's a Dustman, <laughs> which, was, uh, which is kind of interesting. But it was, it was his daughter and her husband and their two girls uh, and they were, they were moving down to Milton Keynes to start a new life. And they were driving down the A1 at night. And, uh, and there was a lorry crossing the carriageway to turn north. And the back end of the lorry was, it had to stop to allow traffic to pass. And so the back end was stuck out into the lane of southbound traffic. And they didn't see it till it was too late and went ploughed into the back of it. And the... The mum and the older daughter walked away with scratches. Uh, the younger daughter, the four-year-old, was killed outright. And the father had severe brain damage, uh, couldn't speak, was confined to a wheelchair, and then died about three years later as a result of his injury. So, so what, do you, you know, what do you say? It's like, you know, um, you know, Charlie's funeral yesterday, 18 years old, riding his motorbike. So, you know, what do you... And I know, you know, I, you know... You know me, I know you, just looking around the room. You know, so many of us, we've, we've been through those tragedies where you, you lose someone and it's just a disaster. And well, how do you, how do you respond? What do you say? Uh, well, that's what this psalm is, is really all about. It's about, well, how do, we, how do we survive those moments in life when crushing tragedy strikes? So let me read the psalm and then we'll, we'll unpack it. Uh, Psalm 77, I cried out to God for help. I cried out to God to hear me. When I was in distress, I sought the Lord. At night, I stretched out untiring hands and my soul refused to be comforted. I remembered you, O God, and I groaned. I mused and my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from closing. I was too troubled to speak. I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. My heart mused and my spirit inquired, will the Lord reject forever? Will he never show his favour again? Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? Then I thought, To this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God? You are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw you, O God. The waters saw you and writhed. The very depths were convulsed. 
The clouds poured down water, the skies resounded with thunder, your arrows flashed back and forth. Your thunder was heard in the whirlwind, your lightning lit up the world. The earth trembled and quaked. Your path led through the sea, your way through the mighty waters, though your footprints were not seen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Uh, May our hearts and minds be open and attentive to hear your voice. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So um, many years ago when I was on staff at the, um, at the Point Church in Burgess Hill, there was a, a guy, Andy, who's now, um, he's been ordained for a number of years now. But he was, um, I think he was, his sort of previous career was in kind of life coaching and, and, and stuff, that kind of thing, I think. Uh, but I remember we had a, a leadership team kind of session with him one time. And uh, the only thing that I remember from it was that he had this phrase that um, what you focus on expands. What you focus on expands. And he used the illustration of if, you are, if you're thinking of changing your car and you think there's a particular car that you're thinking of going to buy, he said, suddenly you will see lots of those cars on the roads around you because that's become your focus. And I, and I always remember it because not long after that, we were thinking of, of changing our car and um, there, were, there were five of us in the family, and so we were like, well, we need a big car to get everybody in and maybe a couple of friends. So we were looking for maybe a seven-seater. And someone said, oh, we should get like a Vauxhall Zafira, because like seven seats. And there was a time when you could always spot a vicar, because they would be driving a, a Vauxhall Zafira, because vicars generally have four children. And if you notice that, a lot of part they have four children. We've kind of stopped at three, but so it's so any big car. And Zafiras were like the cheapest people carrier around. So there was a time when literally every vicar with a family was driving a Vauxhall Zafira. But anyway, we've thought, oh well, look at this. I'd never seen a Vauxhall Zafira before in my life, and suddenly the roads were full of them. It was like the only car, I, you know, every other car seemed to be a Vauxhall Zafira, because it, it's kind of works. What you focus on expands. And this psalm splits into two halves and the focus changes from one half to the other. So verses 1 to 9 have one focus and then in verse 10, the psalmist shifts his focus and what he's focusing on starts to change. So we don't know the circumstances, we don't know whether his, his trouble is it's a personal situation or whether it's something that's going on in the, in the nation. It could be in the run up to the exile when everything is going disastrously wrong and Israel's enemies are encroaching on her borders but some disaster has befallen the psalmist and he is being he's just being crushed by the pain of it so even though he's crying out to God and appealing to God the first nine verses he is in just a place of desperation he's in a his pain is it's just all consuming and that's the reality isn't it when when tragedy strikes or when you're suddenly in caught up in enormous pain it just, it dominates everything. It's just, it was like, you know, dear Olivia, you know, nearly cutting her finger off in the door on Friday. You could just see in that moment, as the door slammed on her finger, that that was, she was consumed for a moment with just the, the pain of, have I just broken my finger? But I've got to carry on with, you know, with connect. And it's like that when you're, you know, you know kind of moist, I remember when, you know, 18 years ago when, when, when Sarah was very ill and, and left the first time, and the first, the first two months that Sarah was away, 
it was, I mean, it was just the most, I've you know, shared this story, it's just the most excruciating, painful few weeks of my life. Because for the first, for seven and a half weeks, I just had no contact with her at all. She just, you know, she vanished, she ended up in the hospital. And, and after a few days, I remember, you know, just ringing the hospital to see how she, how she was. And, and they said, well, you know, you, if you want, you can, you, you can ring and we'll put you through to her room and you can talk to her. And I remember um, ringing about 10 days after she'd gone into hospital and having this very brief chat with her, at the end of which she said, I don't want you to ring me again. So, and, and just the first seven weeks, it was like being with a, you know, just being with a stranger. And, and, you know, and I know that, you know, different ones of you have been in, you know, different circumstances where that, the pain is just so overwhelming and so intense that actually that's all you can see and it becomes your, your focus. But what we focus on expands. And for the psalmist... You know, although he's, he's calling out to the Lord, it's not really helping. You know, at night I stretched out untiring hands. Uh, my soul refused to be comforted. He's kind of in this place where even though he's crying out to the Lord, it's like, he's like, I, actually, I'm, I'm in so much pain. I don't want, I'm just kind of in it. He refused to be comforted. Uh, verse three, my spirit grew faint. You kept my eyes from, I was too troubled to speak. You know, I thought about the former days, the years of long ago. I remembered my songs in the night. It's, it's like, it didn't, you know, I remember when, you know, happier days when it wasn't like this. You know, I, I remember when, you know, I was, you know, there were good times and I had songs to sing in the night. But now he's, that's all gone. And then he has this, this sort of stream of questions, questioning, you know, the Lord. Verse 7, will the Lord reject? Will he never show his favour again? He says, has his unfailing love Vanish forever. Has his promise failed for all time? Has God forgotten to be merciful? Has he in anger withheld his compassion? The psalmist is in just such a place of pain that that's become his, his focus. And it is expanding. Through those first nine verses, he's in a, he starts in a place of pain. That's his focus. And it just expands. And he's spiralling down into this place of, of despair and despondency and and if he doesn't, if he doesn't stop, he'll end, he'll just end up in a place of hopelessness, a place of resentment, a place of bitterness. Because that's what that's what happens when our, our our pain becomes all all consuming, and it becomes our focus, and it just expands. It leads us into that place of despondency and hopelessness. And somehow, if we're to get through that, we have to find something else to focus on. Something else that can expand to fill our attention. Something else that will expand to, you know, to, to cover the pain that we're, that we're in. And that's what he does in verse, in verse 10. There's this shift because he runs through all of these questions about, well, you know, has, basically, has God abandoned me? Has God abandoned us? Is God not reliable? Has God let me down? Uh, am, I, am I right to feel hopeless? And in verse 10, he says, then I thought to this, I will appeal. He starts to change his, his focus. And it's interesting that his, he says, to this, I will appeal the years of the right hand of the Most High. The years of the right hand of the Most High. So immediately, he's, he's not just, he doesn't go straight to thinking about the character of God. He doesn't go straight to thinking about, well, what is what is God like? He's thinking more kind of practically. He's thinking about the years. So he's thinking about God in time. He's thinking about God in 
history, he's thinking about, well, how have I seen God act? What have I seen God do? So it's not just a kind of, um, uh, you know, sort of a, a disembodied belief in God out there somewhere. He's thinking about, well, have I got, have I got concrete evidence on which I can base a hope? To this I will appeal, the years of the right hand of the Most High. What have I seen God do in history? Have I seen God do anything that would give me reason for hope? Verse 11 says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your miracles of long ago. I will meditate on all your works and consider all your mighty deeds. Uh, what you focus on expands. So the psalmist says, right, I'm, I'm in this place of excruciating pain, but I'm going to meditate. I'm going to focus on God's works. And what does he focus on? Well, verses 16 to 20, his focus is God's deliverance of the people of Israel from slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land. That's how he's seen God act, that his people were slaves, physical slaves in Egypt. And there was nothing that they could do to deliver themselves. But God acted miraculously and delivered them and led them into freedom in the promised land. And that's his focus. That's what he meditates on. And as he looks at what God has done, so that reveals what God is like. It reveals God's character, that he's seen how God has acted in history and how you act uh, reveals your character. So for the psalmist, as he meditates on this great deliverance from slavery to freedom, what does he, as he meditates, what does he think about the character of God? What is he reminded of in the character of God? Well, firstly, he's reminded that God hears us when we cry out to him in pain. Uh, remember, uh, back in Exodus, Exodus chapter 3, verse 7, uh, the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So the psalmist looks at how God has acted in history and as he meditates on how God has acted, so he's reminded of the character of God. And what's he reminded of? Number one, that God heard the cry of his people when they were slaves in Egypt. The cry of the people went up to heaven and God heard them. Secondly, the Lord says, I am concerned about their suffering. God cares. When we cry out to God, God cares. Verse 8 of uh, Exodus 3. So I have come down to rescue them. God hears. He cares. He acts. I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God acts to bring his people into a place of deliverance. That's the character of God that we see in history. He hears, he's concerned, he comes down. This is one of the great, um, uh, you know, uh, Revelations in history 2,000 years ago about the, you know, the, the, the God of the Jews and, 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 and Jesus is... You know, there were a panoply of different gods that were worshipped, but none of them came down to rescue their people. It's only Yahweh who comes to rescue his people. It's only in Jesus that God comes to 
rescue his people. I have come down to rescue them and to bring them into a spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So the Israelites see God act and no wonder they then come to this place in, in Exodus 33 where God, God reveals his character. And they know that it's true because they've seen it in history. This is not just some, uh, uh, you know, something out of the, they've, they've seen it acted out in history where God says in Exodus 33 verse 6, The Lord, the Lord, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin. Yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of the fathers to third and fourth generation. A God of compassion, abounding in love, slow to anger, but a God of justice. And so the psalmist, even though he's in, in this place of anguish and pain, is he chooses to shift his focus and to meditate on what God has done. And as he does that, he's reminded of who God is. A God who listens and a God who cares and a God who acts. And, that, and so verse 13, you can begin to see, you begin to see that from this place of despair, he sort of moves into a place of worship. Your ways, O God, are holy. What God is so great as our God, you are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the peoples. With your mighty arm, you redeemed your people, the descendants of Jacob and Joseph. So do you see this, do you see the sort of direction of travel that is in this place of, of overwhelming pain? And, and I know, you know, many of us, you know, we've been in that place of just overwhelming pain. It's sort of all consuming. And if you're not to be consumed by it, you have to change your focus and say that the psalmist moves to this place. Okay, well, I'll think about what has God done? And as he thinks about that, he's reminded of, well, who God is. And that then brings him into a place of worship. And as he worships, his whole perspective changes and he moves into a place of hope. I remember, um, again, I'm sure I've, I've, I've shared this before, when um, 18 years ago, the first time when Sarah went missing and she just disappeared one day and, um, uh, and then had no idea where she was for, for 48 hours and then discovered that she was in Brighton, but had no idea where she was in Brighton. She just vanished and then discovered that she um, which hotel that she, she'd gone to in Brighton. And just in, the, in, in that, I just knew that the worst thing I could have ever done would have been to gone to, you know, to try and visit her. It would have just, I knew I could not have, have done that. And I remember on the Sunday night, my, my brother-in-law and his family came down for the weekend and my brother-in-law drove me down to Brighton and we drove along the seafront and he pointed out the hotel where Sarah was and uh, which room she was she was in and she was like you know literally over where the White House is but you know she might as well have been on the other side of the moon and uh, and I remember he, he drove me back and I went for a walk on the south of England showground and uh, and I was just crying out to God just saying you know, what is, you know, what is, what is happening? I don't understand this. I was like verses one to nine. But in those moments, I just reminded myself that, that God is bigger. You know, God is bigger. God is bigger than our circumstances. He's bigger than our pain. And, and I reminded myself that God is good. God is faithful. That's his character. And how do I know that? Well, because God has acted in history for the psalmist. What he looks at is, is the deliverance from physical slavery in Egypt to freedom in the promised land of Israel. But, 
we're in an even better position because what do we look at? Well, we look back to the cross. We look back to Jesus dying on the cross and delivering us not from a physical slavery, but from a spiritual slavery to sin and death and rescuing us from that slavery and delivering us into an even greater freedom, the freedom you know, the freedom of eternity, the freedom of eternal life that can never be taken from us. It's an even greater deliverance. And that's what we have to look forward to. And, and that's the hope that we have and that we can hold on to. Because in this life, we will go through times of, of great tragedy. It's part and parcel of the world that we live in. There are times when we will be just, you know, stunned by the things that happen. Stunned by the losses that we Experience and in those moments we just we get so caught up and overwhelmed by the pain that it it might consume us unless we change our focus because what we focus on expands and that's what we see we see it with um, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane uh, uh, Jesus praying to his Father what does he say um, Matthew twenty six verse thirty eight uh, Jesus says. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. That's what the psalmist is expressing in verses 1 to 9, isn't it, of Psalm 77. My soul is overwhelmed to the point of death. Cries out, my father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. He's in this place of torment and of anguish. Jesus is literally sweating drops of blood because he's so consumed with the anguish of what he's got to go through in his crucifixion and yet he knows his father and he trusts his father he says yet not as I will but as you will even in those moments of anguish he has a hope he has a hope that is secure uh, the apostle Paul writing in 2 Corinthians uh, two Corinthians. Um, Paul goes through his time in Ephesus is 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 the most testing time of Paul's life, uh, and he writes two Corinthians, um, sort of reflecting on the experience that he's had in Ephesus and the, the opposition that he has faced. And and it, if you read um, one Corinthians and then two Corinthians, two Corinthians is a very very different letter. He's, he's writing not quite as a you know, a broken person, but he's writing as someone who's been through the most agonising and testing times. But this is what he, and this is how he writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 8. Uh, he says, we do not want you to be informed, brothers and sisters, about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. Uh, we were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure, so that we despaired even of life. Indeed, in our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. It's the same thing that the psalmist is expressing in those first nine verses. In our hearts, we felt the sentence of death. But this might happen. This happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. You see, this is the, you know, this, this is the question. It's, it's, well, what is the foundation of our life? What is, what's the rock on which our life is is founded is it founded on a foundation that can be shaken or is it founded on a rock that can't be shaken uh, the psalmist finds himself caught up in a storm that is threatening to blow him away but then he reminds himself of the God who is the rock who never changes and he knows that God is a rock who never changes because he's seen him act in history 
And as you reflect on how God has acted in history, he's reminded of God's character, that he, he hears, he listens, he acts, he delivers. And so Paul in 2 Corinthians has this certain hope in the resurrection of the dead. So as I said the other week, uh, you know, because of the resurrection, there's nothing to fear in this life. The worst that can happen is that we lose our lives. But in Christ, we don't lose our lives. We live for eternity. And so Paul goes on, verse 10, he has delivered us from such a deadly peril. He will deliver us. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favour granted to us in answer to the prayers of many. How do you continue to worship God when your, your life has collapsed around you? How do you keep that hope? How do you manage to, to worship? Well, it's all about what you're focusing on because... Because what we focus on expands. And in a time of grief and pain and anguish, if that becomes our focus, then that will expand to overwhelm us and leave us feeling hopeless and leave us maybe feeling bitter, uh, disheartened. But if we change our focus and instead focus on the Lord and focus on what he has done and focus on his character, then that will expand and that will enable us to stand, even when there's a storm raging around us. And as I said, as I was reflecting at the start of our service this morning, you know, we are living in times of great, you know, of great shaking. There are great storms raging around us as, in a, as a nation and as a world. And in, in our lives, we will be plunged into great storms, as many of us have been already. But in those times, if we choose to focus on a God who is good, a God who listens, a God who cares, a God who has acted to bring about a great deliverance, then we will be able to stand. And it's all about where we choose to put our focus. So I wanted to, um, to end just with a, a time just for us, just a few moments of, of quiet for reflection and for us just to think about, well, where is my uh, where is my focus in these days? And maybe for, you know, it may be that you're caught up in a storm at the moment, or it may be that actually you've been caught up in storms before that have left you kind of stuck, scarred. You know, maybe you've been through these storms and actually you're, you're left with a kind of residual, I don't know, residual sense of disappointment uh, or maybe a residual uh, bitterness or just you're kind of carrying the scars of that and you're almost kind of limping. Uh, and there's still that doubt of, well, actually, I, I'm, I'm not sure that I do trust God because of what happened. And uh, I would love this just to be a moment for the Lord to minister his, his grace into our hearts and lives. And if, there's, if we're carrying any of that disappointment any resentment or bitterness, that these are moments where we can just in our hearts lay it before the Lord and change our focus and remember his miracles of long ago, remember the suffering of Jesus on the cross, meditate on all his works.